and welcome to True Crime 365. My name is B, and um, obviously, as you can probably see from the title, I am super, super, super behind on the Zodiac Killers series. I am currently writing up the Gemini serial killer, and it is really involved, so please bear with me. But to cover for the um, weeks that it takes me to actually do these. I am going to go through the backlog of truecrime365.com in order to kind of, you know, keep the flow going. But yeah, please, please be patient with me. I am currently working on a lot of things. I'm back at uni again. I have a new podcast called Salem, which is about witches and history of witches and the, like all that sort of stuff. Um, and as well as that, trying to write up 2,000, 3,000 word articles about, um, you know, serial killers. And it's it's really involved. So thank you for your patience. But today we are going to leave uh, the Zodiac Killer's behind just for the moment um, and we are going to look into a family annihilator called John Emil List. I don't, I think it's Emil or Emil, I don't know, John List um, and the crazy story uh, that surrounds him. So pretty much um, this particular case has a lot of really gruesome crime uh, scene photos. So if you go onto truecrime365.com, you can find all of the uh, photos because they are very uh, graphic, um, but they are black and white. So I guess it's a little bit less confronting when it's black and white, Um, but it gives you kind of more context. So if you're interested in looking at the crime photos, um, Murderpedia have heaps of them actually. So yeah, it's really, um, there's, there's plenty out there if you're interested in it. But yeah, so today we are going to be, uh, looking at John Emil List. So at, uh, 431 Hillside Avenue, Westfield, Michigan, the United States on December 7th, 1971, Breeze Knoll, which is a 19-bedroom Victorian-style mansion, had all of its lights on um, like day and night for a month. And one by one, the lights had slowly been burning out. Um, And the occupants of this mansion were the List family. They're reclusive and uh, unsocial. And the List had had sent out notes to the children's school saying that they were in North Carolina visiting family. But as those lights began to blow, the neighbours became kind of suspicious. And finally, on December 7, police were called to investigate. And what they found was a really macabre scene. So a bit of background into uh, this family. So in Bay, Michigan, United States, on September 17, uh, 1925. So he's a Virgo. Uh, devout Lutheran German American parents, John Frederick List and Alma Bar- Alma Maria Barbara Florence List. That's a fucking mouthful. Welcome their only child, John Emil List, into the world. John took after his father not only in name, but also in his deeply religious beliefs and work as a Sunday school teacher. John Emil List also became an accountant and on December 1, 1951, he married married uh, Helen Morris Taylor. And Helen was a widow of an infantry officer killed in Korea, and she was a mother of a young girl named Brenda. 
Uh, Helen had contracted syphilis from her late husband and was increasingly unbearable and unstable alcoholic. It was noted that she would loudly proclaim at social events that her current husband was much less sexually endowed than her previous, um, even though he gave her syphilis. And she was the type of woman who wanted everything in a gold bow and a bag to put it in. She was apparently addicted to tranquilizers and drank five glasses of scotch a day, which is a fucking effort. Uh, it is believed that Helen was verbally abusive towards John, belittling, belittling him both privately and publicly. But despite this, they went on to have three children, Patricia, Frederick and John Jr. Uh, so back at Bree's Knoll on November 9, 1971, uh, Helen she was 45 at the time, sat at the kitchen table drinking her morning coffee in the house that, in all truth, the lists couldn't afford. It was a massive Victorian mansion. It was it was just a bit much. Um, the children had gone off to school, leaving adults to their daily routine. However, John had lost his job again. This was kind of like a thing that he, he, he would lose his job consistently. Um, and he had been spending his days at the train station pretending to be going off to work. So he would just like leave the house in the morning and then go and sit at the train station reading a paper until like it was time to come home. And then he would just like, oh yeah, work is great. Thanks, babe. Um, but this day he did not go to the train station. He left a note on the front door uh, for the milkman, stopping deliveries to the house. He then walked up um, behind his wife, pressed a 9mm German-made Steyr automatic pistol to the side of her face and shot her in the head, um, leaving her body where it sat at the table. He then went upstairs to his mother. So she lived in like this an apartment at the top Um of the house. So it was like a separate apartment. And he went upstairs um, to see Alma and she was 84 at the time. And she was standing in her little kitchenette making breakfast. When John entered the room, um, she turned to her son and said, what was that noise? And he said nothing. Instead, he shot her just above the left eye. And as she fell, her knees broke. So like she was already dead as she was falling, but her knees like snapped under the pressure um, and she fell to the floor. John then went downstairs, dragging his wife into the ballroom of the mansion, um, which is a room that the list like seldom used. It was like this, this house was massive, right? This is beyond anything that I could ever imagine um, ever living in. But this is like they've got this ballroom. They never use it. Um, yeah, he wraps her body in a Boy Scout sleeping bag. He then drove to his bank, closed both his own and his mother's bank accounts, cashing in her remaining bonds. He then went to the post office um, to stop all the mail before returning home to have lunch at the very table he shot his wife at. Um, he would then remark with a chuckle, like he would later say this to the police, um, that I was hungry. That's just the way it is. So, you know, I've killed my mum and my wife, but I need a sandwich. Um, when Patricia who was 16 and Frederick, who were 13 came home. He shot both of them in the back of the head. And then John Jr. was still at his high school playing soccer. He was 15 at the time. And John List drove to the school to watch his son play in the game, then drove him home to the house in which he committed all the other murders. Um, and it's, it's completely like, it's, it's not really like, 
100% what actually happened next, but um, John Jr. struggled with his father when he attempted to shoot him. However, he was overpowered and shot multiple times in the face and chest. And then the bodies of the children then joined their mother in sleeping bags, (laughs) placed carefully in the ballroom. He cut himself out of every family photo in the home, put on a religious radio station on a loop over the mansion's intercom, turned off all the lights, and then departed in his Chevrolet Impala, which is the car from Supernatural. (laughs) It was like a makeshift morgue. It was very like... Very macabre there. Um, in the photos, the three of them are lined up and then one of them's like at the head. So. <sighs> so now we're fast forwarding to uh, 1989. So at this point, it's been like it took a month after the um, murders for the neighbors to call the police and actually check in the house. And they find obviously these bodies laying in the ballroom and upstairs in this apartment. And it's, it's this really just like who, who could do such a thing, but then they know who would do such a thing. It's the guy who cut himself out of all the fucking photos. Like he thought ahead, he knew what he was doing. So in Richmond, Virginia in 1989, Robert Peter, quote unquote, nickname Bob, Uh, Clark sits on the couch with his wife, Dolores Miller, watching America's Most Wanted. Um, An image of a forensic sculpture flashes on the screen with calls for information from the public. They chasing John Emil List for the murders of his family. Bob begins sweating, his heart racing as the sculptor's interpretation of John List is highly accurate. He's looking at a sculpture of himself. Bob looks to his wife, but she doesn't see what he sees and carries on with her night, unaware of her husband's past. This bust is like legit too. It looks just like him down to the, like the, um, the glasses. Watch the forensic files episode on this. Cause it is like, it's so interesting how they do this. Uh, neighbors from their time in Denver, however, recognize the man and immediately contact America's most wanted on June 1, 1989, Bob Clark was arrested at the accounting firm that he worked at claiming he had no idea who John List was and denying to be the man who'd be on the, who had been on the lamb for nearly 18 years. Eventually, when faced with the, with the overwhelming forensic evidence, Bob confessed to true identity of John Emil List on February 16, 1990, which is a long time to be like, nah, I'm Bob. Don't worry about it, guys. So in the study of uh, Breeze Knoll back when uh, John committed these murders, he left a confession note addressed to his pastor, Reverend Eugene A. Ray, Ray Winkle? Ray Winkle. R-E-H-W-I-N-K-E-L. Ray Winkle. Um, it's a really long letter, but it's, um, it's very interesting. It's, it's his like manifesto. It's like why he would do such a thing. Um, but pretty much he confesses to the murder of his entire family, stating that he feared for their immortal souls. He believed that the seventies was a sinful time and that his family was straying further away from God. And he wrote about his, uh, daughter, Patricia, who was a budding actress, um, quote, being so determined to get into acting, I was also fearful as to what might happen to what, what that might do to her continue being a Christian, and I sure it wouldn't have helped. Um, end quote. 
at this trial, it was also heard that Patricia was a practicing witch. Ah. Um, which is a major sin in, the Christ- in like Christianity. It's like, fuck that. Um, but whether or not this is true is, is kind of unknown. It's the 70s. She might have like dabbled in a bit of like pagan stuff. Most like teenagers do. There's kind of like a um like a stage that most teenage girls go through where they go all witchy and stuff. She's probably just doing that. Um, but he also listed his financial issues uh, with as a cause for his actions. Uh, the lists were severely in debt, and John was unemployed. The sh- uh, the shoe was about to drop, and John was running out of time. He wrote in the letter, "Quote: I wasn't earning an." One, I wasn't earning anywhere near enough to support us. Everything I tried seemed to fall to pieces. True, we could have gone bankrupt and maybe gone on welfare. Two, but that brings me to my next point. Knowing the type of location that one would have to live in, plus the environment for the children, plus the effect on them knowing they were on welfare was more than I thought they could and should endure. End quote. It seems that the public judgment his family may face from their financial and personal troubles was, in his mind, worse than death. He well and truly believed he was sending his family directly to heaven. He saw there was no other option. But here's the thing. Most family annihilators kill themselves after killing their family. So the idea of a family annihilator is someone who is um, is killing his family either out of rage um, and, like, you, you won't – you can't leave me – like, I'll get you first. If I can't have you, no one else will. Like, so he kills the wife and children and then they'll kill themselves. Um, or that in this like kind of the case of John List, that they legitimately believe that they are doing something good for their family um, and then they kill themselves to kind of be with their family because they've done such a horrible thing. But John List decided that suicide was too big of a sin for a good Christian man to commit, even worse than disobeying the commandment, thou shall not kill. The last line of the letter um, sent a col- like this manifesto letter um, sent a collective gasp through the courtroom during John List trials, and it is just one of the. Mm, it's the last line, and it says, "P.S. Mother is in the hallway attic, third floor. She was too heavy to move." John. So back at Bree's Knoll in. 1972, August 2nd, an arson attack, which is still unsolved, saw Breezenol burn to the ground. It was then discovered that the skylight over the ballroom in, um, in which John List made his makeshift morgue was a Tiffany original. The estimated value of this piece being $100,000 US, which is $590,000 US in today's value. Um, this Skylight was more than enough to cover the list family's debts. So if he had just spoken to his wife or spoken to someone, got that skylight and sold it, he would be fine. The whole family would still be alive. Everything would be just peachy. But being blinded by embarrassment and rage and fear of this failure he decided to take his entire family's life instead. So April 12, 1990 in New Jersey, John Emma List is convicted of five counts of first-degree murder. 
He attempted to plead insanity, but the jury and the judge saw through it. The judge stated, John Emolist is without remorse and without honour. After 18 years, 5 months and 22 days, it is now time for the voices of Helen, Alma, Patricia, Frederick and John F. List to rise from the grave. On May 1, he's sentenced to five life terms in prison. He continued to show no remorse and he legitimately believed that he would be returned to his family in heaven, which is just so confusing to me. But anyway, um, while still in custody on March 21, 2008, John Emmerlis dies of complications of pneumonia and no one came to claim his body which is the greatest poetic justice of all. So that is the story of Family Annihilator, John Emil List. Some of these sources include um, uh, the New York Times list, um, list, (laughs) New York Times confession letter um, that is like in full and also um, Murderpedia photos are absolutely amazing so please go and check those out thank you for listening to this episode of true crime 365 it was a quick one um like 17 minutes or something so yeah thank you so much for listening please check out salem podcast it is available on soundcloud and apple Podcasts at the moment i'm working on getting it to a lot more places um also please follow uh us on twitter which is at true crime 365 and also instagram at true crime 365 and check out the website true crime 365.com thank you very much goodbye